0: Welcome. I'm Sheila Murthy, president and founder of the Murthy Law Firm. I'm so honored and delighted to have each of you joining us for today's teleconference on F1 student issues part three. This part, we will focus on transitioning from F1 to H1B related issues, and we will conclude the series of F1 student related issues and questions encountered by you either as F-1 students or employers of F-1 students once your program of study is completed. We hope to discuss today requirements of the optional practical training, provide some helpful hints and advise you on how to avoid certain problems with the optional practical training or OPD application and employment. In addition, we hope to discuss travel at the end of the school year and answer questions or issues that come up routinely regarding the program of study, transition to H-1B, etc. I'm honored and delighted to have two of our brilliant attorneys, Attorney Aaron Finkelstein, who is the managing attorney at the firm and has been with the firm over 16 years at the Multi Law Firm, and Anna Stepanova, who is a member of the firm and who in her former life before becoming an immigration lawyer was a designated school official or DSO with a very prestigious university in the Midwest. So let me get started, if I can, with you, Aaron. What exactly is the OPT and how does it affect what options a student may have? And Ana, you're welcome to chip in as well.
2: So first of all, the acronym OPT stands for Optional Practical Training. Now what OPT OPT does is it it requires authorization from the USCIS And it is not employer-specific during the initial one-year period. So you are eligible for OPT for 12 months initially, and during that period it's not employer-specific. It could be authorized prior to and after the completion of the study. If it is pre-completion study, if it's prior to when you graduate, then it's authorized for a maximum of 20 hours per week when school is in session. It's very similar to CPT, or curricular practical training, in as much as it has to be directly related to the student's program of study, and it has to, and it's subject to the one-year, full, one full academic year of full-time enrollment before it, can be, uh, before it can be authorized. That one-time full academic year, incidentally, it does have some exceptions, but that's the general rule.
1: I'd like to add, Aaron, that uh, unlike CPT, there is an unemployment maximum, which is 90 days during the first year. And then uh, later on today, we are going to talk about STEM extension of 17 months, which has 120-day unemployment limit altogether, uh, first year plus 17 months extension. So unlike CPT there is this unemployment maximum and some students when they call us they're wondering if they're still waiting for their OPT to be authorized and to get their employment authorization document from USCIS if their employment start date is already in the past are they still accruing uh, unlawful uh, unemployment maximum or uh, the days that they're not employed do they get counted towards the unemployment maximum of 90 days the answer to that question is no because you cannot start employment without an EAD, and you have to wait for your EAD to be delivered to you so that you can show it to your employer, and only then you can start working, and only then your 90-day unemployment maximum starts um, accruing if you are unemployed, but not before uh, USCIS issues the EAD, the actual card.
0: Okay um so so that's helpful to know because i think people are afraid what happens when does my 90 day clock stick so it doesn't start to tick until the ead is actually Mm -hmm. issued and in your hands so let's jump back to you aaron then what is the optional Mm -hmm. practical training stem opt stem extension and how does that work
2: so we discussed OPT. Now, OPT STEM extensions, that's with students who've graduated with degrees in science, technology, engineering, or mathematics, S-T-E-M, STEM degrees. Those are eligible for a one-time 17-month extension of OPT, which is in addition to the 12 months that they already would have received. The employer, though, must be enrolled in E-Verify and must agree to report a termination in employment to the school if the student is no longer working with the company. The student's DSO or designated school official uh, must provide the student with the instructions to the employer on how to report such a termination in order to go forward.
1: And the employer must also agree to report the termination of OPT employment to the DSO. And if they have not been provided any specific instructions on how to contact the DSO, they can find uh, the contact information on the student's I-20 form. They have to report it within 48 hours of termination if the termination takes place before the end of the authorized period of OPT. And then just so that you know, termination occurs when the employer knows that the student has left the employment or if the student doesn't report to work in five business consecutive days, whichever is earlier.
2: So this basically puts the employer on the hook, then, because even if the poor employer doesn't receive the instructions from its student, it still needs to send the termination information, and it would send it to the school address, which is listed on the I-20. Uh, cumulative. Uh, altogether, maximum unemployment period of initial and STEM OPT cannot exceed 120 days. That
0: seems really tight, because that means in an extra 17 months, all you get is extra 30 days, because in the first one year, they give you 90 days, and then only 30 more for 17 more months. That seems a little tight,
1: though. But, but not all students would use, use up the 90-day limit during the first year. So for some students, that's still a big chunk of time that they can still be unemployed without violating their status.
0: Okay, so that's a good overview on the OPT and the STEM OPT. So let's now jump to some of the common issues and problems, and what are these common issues and problems that we are seeing with the OPT?
1: Anna? Just to briefly summarize, we've been seeing here a few areas where USCIS is scrutinizing OPT applications. So, what are those areas? USCS is looking at uh, the OPT not being in the field directly related to the program of study, exceeding maximum unemployment that we just talked about, 90 days during the first year, 120 days cumulatively during the first year plus STEM extension, and the job not being paid for. Uh, what does it mean? Well, actually, student and exchange visitor program, which is the agency in charge of the CV tracking system of students and exchange visitors. Uh, explained that one of the permissible types of OPT employment is an unpaid internship. USCIS is paying very close attention of whether or not the student was paid. So only those positions that are not regular positions where payment of wages is expected would be uh, possible permissible types of OPT employment because only those would not be against or um, in violation of labor laws. And you, students have to be very careful when they're offered employment which is not paid for, and they need to make sure that this uh, employment would be one of the permissible types of OPT employment. Also, students uh, who travel while on OPT should. Expect to be able to come back. There it has been some anecdotal information uh, from people who are calling us that they're saying that they heard that when they travel on OPT, they would not be able to come back, they would not be able to apply for a visa. That's not true. When you are on OPT, you are still in F1 status and you should be able to travel outside and back into the U.S. Okay. So one of
0: the other issues that we often see is this question about, can the person who is on an OPT re-enter the U.S. after traveling abroad? As we know, an F-1 student who is engaged in pre-completion OPT follows the same procedure for travel abroad and re-entering the U.S. as all other F-1 students. An F-1 student who is engaged in post-completion OPT who travels outside the U.S. temporarily, which is apparently less than five months, is allowed to be legally readmitted to resume employment for the remainder of the period authorized on the EAD card, provided that the student presents a Form I-20 endorsed by the DSO within the preceding six months. The student presents an ex- an unexpired EAD card or employment authorization document the card itself. And third, the student is returning to resume employment. Hopefully they still have, because usually the uh, consulate will give the visa stamp, the F1 visa for one additional year on top of whatever the degree was, um, an extra 12 months. So hopefully you still have that visa, F1
2: visa stamp in your passport. Yeah, I think these are all very important points. Because you have to remember that the students that are approved for post-completion OPT, they do continue to be in F-1 status. And since they continue to be in F-1 status, they're not only subject to the requirements that they have an I-20 endorsed for travel and an EAD, but also to the requirement that they have a valid F-1 visa to re-enter back to the United States unless they come from an exempt, uh, v- uh, comp- uh, they come from a place where, where the visa requirement could be exempt. Uh, SEVP says if USCIS has approved your OPT, you'll be expected to have your EAD in hand to reenter back into the United States in addition to your Form I-20, a valid passport and a visa, and a letter of employment if you have one. If you exceed the limits of unemployment while you're outside the United States, you'll not be eligible to reenter the United States in F-1 status.
1: Okay.
0: Okay. Thank you, Aaron. Um, For the clarification, Anna, if I can, we can jump back to you. Can a student that's on F1 status re-enter in his or
1: her if the request for OPT is pending? Well, this is a very interesting question, Sheila. This area of the law has not been settled yet. SCVP, which, uh, again, Student and Exchange Visitor Program, the agency that is in charge of student matters, has not made it very clear to us. So they're saying that you should be able to re-enter while your request is still pending, but in case that USCIS sends you a request for evidence while you are away, you want to make sure that it goes to uh, your address where somebody can actually uh, inform you, uh, receive it and inform you about it, and make sure that, USCS gets the response to their request. And uh, they also, when they issue an EAD, somebody, you need to arrange for somebody to send it to you while you are abroad because you won't be able to re-enter the U.S. without your EAD in hand. So those are the issues that you have to consider if you do decide to travel while your OPT request is pending. And of course, it would be very helpful if you can present evidence at the port of entry when you're trying to come back to the U.S. that you do have an employer in your field of study. So a letter from your um, current or potential employer will be very helpful as well.
0: Okay, and so and I think one of the issues also is that the EAD can only be sent to the U.S. address. Correct. So Correct. that's the that's mm-hmm. the catch here is so if it's being sent then somebody who's able to check your mail will need to mail that out to you so you can re-enter with it as Anna exactly. just explained. Okay, so now let's jump to transition issues from F1, F1 OPT, whether it's a STEM OPT extension or just a regular F1 seven, 12-month OPT or the additional 17 months. What is the H1B cap and how does it relate uh, to F1 OPT students and transitioning from F1 to H1B cap related issues? That's what we're going to try and go over with you next. So Aaron, can I start with you first and then Anna, you can jump in about cap?
2: Sure. The H1B cap is an annual limitation on the number of new H1B workers. The cap is set at 65,000 new workers a year. However, only 58,500 cap numbers are generally available since certain numbers are specifically set aside for special programs for nationals of Chile and Singapore. Additionally, there's, there's also an additional 20,000 extra visas that are available for those who've completed a master's degree or higher from a U.S. school. Next fiscal, next fiscal year starts October 1, for which there was a lottery since more filings than visa numbers are available. The, those petitions filed for students may still be in process. We see a lot of RFEs, NOIDs, and denials, uh, NOIDs, Notice of Intent to Deny, and denials based on status issues with regard to CPT and OPT.
0: And I know we said RFEs, but RFEs request for evidence because sometimes we
1: lawyers use jargon
0: that the average person may not necessarily be familiar with
1: and of course noid is a notice of intent to deny mm-hmm. which is a form of a request for additional evidence mm-hmm. so let's go move on Anna to the cap-gap what's cap-gap how does that work how does it help students So with the information that Aaron just gave us about what is H-1B cap, now what is cap gap? So the cap gap is typically an automatic period of an extension of F-1 status for students who are transitioning to H-1B status, on whose behalf employers filed an H-1B petition requesting a change of status to H-1B. It exists when there is a gap between the time that the students F1 status expires that could be just F1 uh, status a uh, period of study or it could be OPT period and uh, Uh, between the permitted start date for the H&B status which in this case would be October 1st as Aaron just mentioned without the cap gap relief many students would be faced with the prospect of either having to leave the US between the end of their F1 status and the beginning of their H&B on October 1st or finding some kind of other way to bridge the gap with an interim status uh, by for example enrolling in school again Okay. So it's a very, very useful rule that um, went into effect just a few years ago, giving students more, a lot more flexibility with what they can do while waiting for the H-1B status. That's
0: right. So I remember back in, and it felt like the other day, but it's already been almost seven years or more than seven years at this point. It was on April 8th of 2008 that the U.S. Department of Homeland Security issued the CAP-CAP regulation. Basically, at that time, it was... Uh, the an interim final rule that was published in the Federal Register back in April of 2008, which allows F-1 students the option to extend their status just by staying here until they're able to start working in H-1B status. Before that, you actually had to just stop working and then again after four or five or six months resume your employment, which is obviously not very practical or convenient either for the employer or the employee in terms of payment um, and the employer needing somebody to get the job done. So let's jump to what exactly do the CAP-CAP provisions provide. Aaron?
2: Well, first of all, it says if you timely filed an H-1B case with a request for a change of status. Request for change of status means to change in the United States without having to travel abroad to get a visa and come back. Um, that would be the first step. The second one is you have to indicate October 1st as your start date of employment And third, status and work authorizations for students on OPT would automatically continue until October 1st or until the H-1B cap case is rejected. Uh, This is including not being picked in the lottery, denied or revoked, whichever comes earlier.
1: And in order to be eligible, F1 student must uh, have not otherwise violated their status. That's also very important, and people sometimes forget about this eligibility criterion. Also, uh, the cap-gap relief automatically extends the F2 status of dependents, such as spouses and children as well.
0: Okay. So can we next go to clarifying, because this is another question that we often see routinely, which is... Can you clarify what events affect the maximum period of the cap-gap extension?
2: Sure. So if the petition is currently pending or approved, then the status would generally be extended until September 30th. If the petition is withdrawn or denied, the OPT, or Optional Practical Training Authorization, ends 10 days after the date of the withdrawal or the denial. In that case, the student would have a 60-day grace period after the date of the withdrawal or the denial, uh, in which they'd be still maintaining status.
0: Okay. Anna, if I can ask you now, how will the students and employers know that they have cap-gap extension? Do, does one
1: have to request it in the H-1 petition? Is it automatic? What's the evidence or proof? Oh, that's a very good question, because under the law, the cap-gap extension is automatic. But How do you know? Uh, The petitioning employee is the only one that probably would know if the H&B petition was timely filed because the petition belongs to the employer and is filed by the employer and if the employer requested a change of status and uh, and the October 1st start date and then until the receipt notice is issued by USCIS only they would be able to provide this information to the student Um, and the student would normally want to go to the DSO and ask uh, uh, to issue a new I20 reflecting the fact that now they're authorized for work, if the petition was filed while well, they, they were still authorized um, on uh, for OPT employment. And then once USCS receipts the petition, the information in a system will update the students see record it doesn't always happen so students you are in charge of your immigration matters you need to uh, speak with your DSO and make sure that the CVS record has been updated accordingly with the extension of the cap gap employment authorization and also uh, students will not be personally notified of a withdrawn or denied H&B position that's Also, very important. So, this is something that uh, the students would have to now check with the employer, and they would normally be informed by the employer if something like that happens. So, if the employer withdraws the uh, H 1B petition, for example, the students would have only 10 work days um, uh, of employment under OPT, and then plus 60 days of grace period. They wouldn't have the whole CAP gap. Uh, employment, and status period in this case.
0: Okay. Okay. I hope all of that we're explaining with Aaron, Anna, and myself is making sense and adding to your wealth of information and knowledge. Um, We're going to try to wrap up in the next five or ten minutes because we try to keep this within 30 minutes to help you all so that it's not too much dry information, especially if you're trying to struggling with some concepts. So we'll just answer maybe three or four or five more questions depending on the time. Aaron, should the student obtain any new I-20 forms from the school or the university to reflect the fact that the student is in a period of CAP-GAP extension?
2: In some cases, yes. If the SEVIS system does not reflect the proper filing of the H-1B petition, then the DSO would need to issue a new I-20 reflecting the student's eligibility for the H-1B CAP-GAP and the extension of the student's status. Uh, This would be necessary so that they can complete the for employment purposes and they can complete the i-9s correctly
0: okay can a student who is the beneficiary of an h1 petition filed for a change of status benefit from an automatic extension if the petition is filed during the grace period after the completion of the opt employment authorization because maybe they didn't find a job or get it or whatever if yes Would the student be able to continue employment or will it
1: just extend the grace period until October 1st employment start date? And that's a very common question. So we get questions all the time. Something like, I finished my course of study on March 1st and my employer can only file for uh, my H&B petition for the first available start date of October 1st the same year. Am I eligible and can I am I allowed to stay in the US uh, waiting for the petition to be approved and for the first day of employment and the answer is yes but since you already don't have employment authorization as of the date of the filing of the petition then there is no employment authorization that can be extended so all that's extended is your F1 status but not the employment authorization you can benefit from the cap gap You can stay here, be in F1 status, but without... uh, And before you couldn't even stay here, before this regulation. So the silver
0: lining is you can stay here, but you cannot continue working if you're here during the grace period. So if the student whose F1 status is extended together with the employment authorization, how does that... One of the questions is how would that subject the person to the maximum unemployment limitations? So the student whose status and OPT employment authorization has been extended has to continue working in order not to accrue the maximum unemployment time, which will result in the status violation, what we had referred to earlier as the 90 days or the 120 days with the STEM extension. Let's go to Anna one more question, uh, or Aaron, rather, if Aaron, if you're ready, is once the H-1B petition is approved with the change of status, Is the student allowed to remain in F1 OPT status and use the remaining time in OPT, or what happens?
2: Well, the simple answer is no. Once the H-1B petition is approved with a change of status, the beneficiary must begin the H-1B employment on the petition validity date. The remaining time in OPT may not be reclaimed, If the student does not want to start H-1B employment and decides to remain in F-1 status and the petition is approved before October 1 start date, the employer should withdraw the petition and the student should request that the DSO, the designated school official, request a data fix from the SEVP help desk. Once the H-1B petition is approved and it's past October 1 start date, a data fix is just no longer possible.
0: And this is often, unfortunately, happens when the employer terminates the employment before the October 1st start date so that, you know, it's unpleasant as it is. It's a fact of life or the company goes out of business or shuts down or closes down, etc. Okay, so we'll have time for at least one question more, which is, can an F1 student travel abroad during the CAP-GAP time frame, Anna?
1: And that's, again, a very good question because uh, here, as well as... Uh, With regard to the question whether you can travel on OPT or while your OPT application is pending, there is no settled policy or guidance that we have. But SVP uh, policy guidance as it is now uh, says that they recommend that a student not travel outside the United States during the cap gap extension if possible. doesn't mean that the student will absolutely not be able to come back into the U.S., uh, because the uh, um, USCIS, or I'm sorry, uh, Customs and Border Protection would may be able to and uh, to admit that student back into the U.S., but in very very limited number of cases, usually. Um, Travel during the uh, cap gap while the H&B petition is still pending would result in the abandonment of the uh, change of status request. And as Aaron just pointed out, uh, one of the criteria for the cap gap relief is the petition is filed for requesting the change of status. If it's abandoned, then those criteria would be would already no, uh, would not be applicable any longer. So there wouldn't be any cap gap. Uh, there is no Guidance addressing the situation in which a student um, in a cap-gap period would like to travel after the H-1B Petition is approved. So there is something that we advise uh, students who call us which is don't travel if you can help it because USCIS and SCVP DHS Stated that you can only come back with a valid employment authorization document and if you don't have it then it, which means that you are already in your cap gap period and you the only employment authorization you have is the i20 that is issued for the cap gap relief. So if you don't have your EAD, you won't be able to come back to the U.S. And that's a serious problem. In that case, you would have to stay outside of the U.S., wait for the approval of the H-1B petition, and apply for the H-1B visa so that you can come back here to start your employment on H-1B, but you wouldn't be able to come back here to continue working on LPT under the cap gap relief. Okay,
0: so what about the situation where the person's petition was approved, and maybe you touched upon this, but I'm not sure if there's going to be questions. Is because I thought there was something back from years and years ago from with an Hernandez, the opinion where somebody said or a letter from the U.S. then chief of USCIS Trade uh, and Business Division saying that once the petition change of status is approved. From F-1 to H-1B, let's say it gets approved in June, if you travel in July, August, September, after it's approved and go and come back on F-1, it's okay because your H-1B with the change of status and the tear off I-94 at the bottom of your approval notice have been approved with the October 1st start date. So I'm not sure how all of this impacts that, if there's anything you want to comment.
1: Sure. So that's only part of the scenario because the other part is that you have to have a valid EAD to come back to continue working under the cap gap relief. Right, which you explained a while ago. So if I
0: have the EAD with me, which I've been obviously working on for the last 12 or 17 months or, you know, whatever, 29 months or 20, 24 months of the 29 months, I go, I come back on the EAD, but, and my H1 kicks into it, it jumps. No problem. No but problem. if you
1: are beyond the EAD expiration date, you wouldn't be able to come back and continue employment on the cap gap.
0: Okay, good. All this is helpful. We certainly hope that you have found this discussion between Aaron Finkelstein, the managing attorney at the Murthy Law Firm, Anna Stepanova, our member, and who was the former DSO at a prestigious Midwestern university, and myself, Sheila Murthy, president and founder of the Murti Law Firm. On behalf of all three of us and the entire Murti Law Firm team, we are honored and privileged that you took the time to join us to understand certain F1-related issues today. We hope that when it is time for you to find your employer, find your job, and you need to transition from F1 to H1, that you will give us the honor and pleasure of helping you in filing your H1B petitions through your employers on your behalf as the beneficiary so that we can continue to take very good care of you both for your h1 process and for your green card processing in the future should your employer and you decide to continue along that journey because it is our goal and dream and vision to help each and every single person to accomplish their great american dream of living and working in this greatest country on earth As we always say in our law firm, America is a nation of immigrants and each and every single immigrant with your dream, your hard work and your vision has made this country such a fabulous country. So I hope you will continue to continue to give us the honor and the opportunity to help you along your immigration law journey. Thank you and have a great day.